you have your Bibles, would you open up to the book of Acts? And before Anne comes up, I'm just going to say a couple of words first of all. Come on. I came to faith um, in stages, but always felt rather dramatic to me. My sister came to faith um, and she taught me to pray. She uh, introduced me to Queen's Park Baptist Church and really God spoke to me deeply through that community who welcomed me in warts and all. And when I was 11, I went to a Louis Palau, who was, who was I think, um, an evangelist, and he was touring Great Britain. And I went to the Langside Halls, and I can remember even as an 11-year-old going forward for prayer. I made a, a decision there and then in my heart. What was happening to me? Undoubtedly, God, by his Spirit, was pursuing me. And so, I went forward for prayer. And probably because I was not connected in with the church well enough. I wouldn't consider that my conversion. There was no discipling thereafter. I just periodically went to Queen's Park Baptist Church, um, especially midweek and sometimes on a Sunday. And then when I got to become a teenager, I got introduced to youth fellowship, which started at age 14. But they took pity on me and they and, and so they, they allowed me to be part of their group. And then when I was 15 and leaving in the east of Scotland, um, I, I was at a, a meeting that was all about a guy called Alistair McIndoe, some of you may or may not know, and it was all about um, just, it was almost like experimenting in the gifts of the Spirit, and there was a lot of freaky stuff happening. And, but it was there and then that the, the truth of who Jesus is the truth of who I was just collided and, I, and it was at that point I committed myself to Christ. I asked him to be my Lord and Savior. I knew the forgiveness of sins. And throughout my, Miranda mentioned her dad. I, I met Miranda, I can still remember the first time I met Miranda juggling four balls and curly bobbed hair. And uh, after about a year we started going out and her family really discipled me also, but her dad was an Episcopalian minister and um, still is a great man of God, sometimes in my mother-in-law lead communion here. And their Anglican church was hardly high Anglican. Um, you just didn't know what was going to happen. And in that community, I saw God move in incredible ways, a real passion for the Word, a real passion for the Spirit. And one of very few Anglican churches up and down the country were like St. Ninian's and Presswick. And then there was things called the Toronto Blessing that happened when I was maybe, I'm guessing, 16, 17. And again, Miranda was with a group called Youth for Christ. She was down south. I went to visit her. And it was just at the height of all of that happening. I was in a meeting and I could see all of these people falling down all about me. And my calves were like that. Because I was thinking to myself, there's no chance that I'm going to be pushed down. Here's somebody, could you just guide the people coming in down here? Is that okay? And so my calves were, were like that. And they were absolutely agony. And uh, 
because I thought no one's pushing me down. Absolutely no chance somebody's pushing me down. And then I came home and there was a meeting in Pollock and there was some people, my pastor Edwin was going to go and it was someone who was speaking and there was going to be um, just a, there was a hope that the Holy Spirit would just come in power. And I remember listening to the preacher, I didn't remember anything that he said, but this is what was 100% in my heart and mind. I, whatever happened to Miranda and all of those guys that I fought, I want. And that was all I, that was 100%, even all those years later, that's what I desired. And when the person, whoever he was, says, if anyone would like prayer, that we're just going to pray the Holy Spirit would come in power, uh, please come forward. I was the first person up. I was right at the front. And I remember my best man, Gully, was behind me or beside me. No, he's behind me. And all I can recall was that I was praying and I was saying, and I was conscious as well. <laughs> and I was saying, Lord, I, if it's something I just want, I don't care what it is, I just want what it is. And at that point, someone came forward and my eyes were shut, but I, I know, come forward a bit, man. And the person just went like that and simply just touched, there was no push. I'm skeptical at pushing. And there was no push and he simply touched. And I'm like, you know, how big was your fish and all of that. I know I'm going to exaggerate in my distances, but I flew back six foot into my best man, Gully, who, who was all that sort of holy way and I just landed on him, cracker. And so I tell you that because today is Pentecost Sunday. Today is the birth of the church, as it were. Uh, today is a day where we remind the church family also that if you would like to contribute to the fellowship funds, uh, to help people who are going through financial difficulty, you need to speak to our treasurer and make that happen. Our fellowship fund is low because there's lots of people in need. And so we, as part of the church, and this day we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, almost like the birth of the church, then we say, let's look out for one another. But I also tell you those stories to say there has been more occasions where I have known the Holy Spirit leading me in a path of sanctification, to use a word, of becoming more like Jesus. And there have been the odd occasion where the Holy Spirit has landed me in my back. There's been times when the Holy Spirit has spoken to someone, three or four times for me, very specific things. And the person comes up to me and said, I believe I got a word from you. And then if someone comes and says that to you, you should say, okay, I'm going to test that. Because I need to test it, whether it's just you being fleshy and, and super spiritual or whether it's of the Lord. And on three or four occasions, the Lord has spoke specific things to me. God told me when I was age 15 that I was going to be a preacher and that, um, and that I had to know his word. Got a letter, I've still got it to this day, with a guy who was passionate about Jesus, just shared things that with trembling and fears he he gave to me. So I'm telling these stories, there are some dramatic things, and maybe I've got more stories to tell, but more often than not, it's been the steady work of the Holy Spirit transforming me. Not either, but both. Pentecost Sunday, we're going to look at Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 in parts, and I'm going to ask Anne if she would come up. So we're reading from Acts chapter 1. And we're reading the first five verses. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. 
After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Moving on to chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what appeared to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. May God bless the reading of this holy Amen. Thank you, Anne. Can you put the first slide up there, Daniel? That's the boy, thank you. <clears throat> you ignore uh, the parting words, the final instructions of Jesus at your peril. Uh, sometimes we do want to ignore the last thing that people said to us because they've been bitter or twisted, but not the words of Jesus. And in this little passage are some of the final words that he says to his followers. So Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is saying to his disciples these words. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. For Jesus' disciples who had a Jewish background, they would have known their Bibles they would have known the concept of receiving power and they would have known the co the, to a point and they would have known to a point uh, the idea of the Spirit imparting or coming upon or descending upon. This was a mystery to us. They would have known the heroes in Scripture uh, where the Holy Spirit descended for a time, for a season or for a purpose. They would have known Gideon and they'd have known Samson, they'd have known Saul, King Saul, they'd have known King David, whose lives were transformed and the situation they were involved in were transformed when the Holy Spirit came upon them. For instance, Gideon. He was called by God to a mammoth task, a fearsome task. And it was frightening. He regarded himself as irrelevant. He, he regarded his family line as irrelevant. He was not a courageous man. He was not um, a strategic leader at all. But God called and God commissioned him and God empowered him. Called him mean he was hiding, timorous, in a cave where the enemy was marauding all over Israel. And he was fearful in and himself, not knowing what to do and fearing for his own life. But not only did God call him to go and do something, God clothed him as if God placed on him a tunic, a cloak, something else on him. And as a result, from that moment onwards, 
Gideon became a genuinely charismatic leader who united Israel, who inspired a tiny army to have what is a famous victory. And what was Gideon's secret? Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon, uh, came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. That's a secret. God commissioned him, called him to do something, but then says, and this is how you're going to do it, with my presence with you. He was transformed. And David, well, David, his success was rooted in a secret meeting that he had with the great prophet Samuel. When Samuel came along and he anointed David with oil and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And you can look at Saul and you can look at um, the guy who, who created the Ark of the Covenant, whose name starts with being who I always forget. His name is? That'll do me. And uh, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Commissioned by God. You're going to do this. I want you to do this. But here's my presence for it to happen. Here's my power to make it happen. So the apostles knew these stories, but they also had their own experience of this clothing, commissioning, empowering of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and I read, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. And then right after that, not just the twelve apostles, but the larger group of disciples, whether it be 70 or 72. And after this, in Luke chapter 10, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out by two, two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go I am serving you. I am sending you. The apostles, I believe, would have recognized that if they were to carry on from where Jesus had stopped, then they would need anointing. They would need power from God himself. And so why are we any different? Go and do this task. This is what I've called and commissioned you to. I need you. I choose to send you. And here's how you're going to do that. By my spirit. So that you won't receive any of the glory to say, look what I've done. Because you'll know that it's come to completion and it has eternal consequences. Because it is by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I personally believe it's tragic that so much of the church is binatarian. Maybe not in its theology, but in its experience and in its practice. 
what is binatarianism. It's the belief that there's one true God who exists in two persons, Father and Son. And of course, from binatarianism, the Holy Spirit is missing. Recently, I was studying with some pastors from across Scotland. And um, at one point at dinner, during conversation, one of the pastors turned around to me and says, so you're the charismatic among us. And the conversation went on. And we discussed what that meant and where it was coming from because it turned out everyone there was either from Church of Scotland, the We Freeze, the Free Church, the Continuing Free Churches and a few other continuous churches. And yet I was the only non-Presbyterian there. But on a different occasion, I was asked by someone, are you a conservative evangelical? That was a great conversation. And my reply roughly was this. It depends what you mean by conservative. If you mean by conservative that I am cautious, then no, I am not conservative. But if you mean by conservative evangelical that I desire to conserve biblical orthodox Christianity that has been practiced by the church since Christ, before Christ, all the way back, then... I confess I am, but only if that is what you mean. Charismatic, reformed, I think like the Apostle Paul, my desire is to be both. Word and spirit. I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I can see no reason whatsoever why today, Anything has changed in regards to the gifts of the Spirit and the moving of God in power as he desires to bring his kingdom, therefore calls and equips people to do it in a way in which yet looks quite natural and organized. But then on other occasions, there is no explanation as of God. The both can be the same. I'm convinced of these things. That our Lord Jesus Christ, our, my Savior, is God manifest in the flesh. He is the sole and the absolute authority in all matters pertaining to faith and practice as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. See Matthew 28, 18 for that reference. And that each church family has liberty under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to interpret and administer his laws. I guess I'm not a Presbyterian. But I am also convinced that the local church holds the key to community transformation. In Kinlochranach, in McClure, in Feldy, in Weem, in, in Pitlochry, in Kirkmichael, in Stanley, wherever it may be. That the apostles were told by Jesus in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 to go and make disciples. And what happened in, uh, instinctively? They went and they planted churches where discipleship could take place and there were small group churches on the, the most part and where discipleship could take place in a community of love, rubbing off on one another, having differences when it comes to second and third issues but being united with believing that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour. He has revealed his truth to us. We are to follow in his ways, which is an upside-down cultural way. 
and that we to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, not staying the same, but, but being transformed ever increasingly into his likeness. And that was administered by gifted and called leaders. I'm convinced of both of those things. So the promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit galvanized the early church. That was then. But what if today? I believe as a church, we are as a church, but I believe convictionally that we're called to be Trinitarian. In theology, but also in practice. A people of the word and a people of the spirit. Consider this again. Let's look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8 again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Think about this situation. Think about the disciple situation at that point. If all the disciples needed for this great commission that they were given by Christ to advance the gospel, to see the kingdom of God, the rule of Christ, known and proclaimed, if all they needed was what they, their experience was up until that point, well, they had everything they needed because they had journeyed with Jesus for three years. They had seen him weep. They'd seen him do miracles. They'd seen him teach. They'd been corrected by him. They'd been loved by him. They'd walked in the dust of their rabbi. If that was all they needed, three years experience of watching and emulating as disciples would copy, even today, uh, Jewish rabbis, their disciples would copy everything that they're doing. If that was all the disciples needed, well, they had everything they needed. They'd been taught by the very best, Jesus. But even though they had seen Jesus teach, be put to death on the cross, resurrected. They'd been fed by Jesus, fish and all sorts of things. He broke bread in communion. He'd appeared to them and he'd commissioned them. They'd seen him ascend to the heavens. They were a highly motivated people, but they needed more according to Jesus. They needed much more according to Jesus. They needed the Holy Spirit. Don't go anywhere. Don't go to the places where we've been. Don't go to the low-lying fruit. Don't go anywhere. Don't talk to anyone until the power of the Holy Spirit is present with you. Wait. Be patient. It'll come. He will come. So what does the Holy Spirit do? In a word, the Holy Spirit does everything. Everything that God is doing in the earth today, he's doing by his spirit. The Holy Spirit is the active presence of God. When God works a miracle that we can't explain, it's by his spirit that he does that. When someone is saved, is born again, is con confesses Jesus Lord and Savior, and we're involved in that, great. But it's not our convincing words. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, a church without the Holy Spirit is a church without God. I was a bit timorous in putting that statement up there. Because it's controversial. But I did. Because I don't like being safe. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Forgive me. But a church without the Holy Spirit is a church without God. 
Jesus says in John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't touch Jesus. We can't physically be by Jesus. We abide in Jesus by his spirit. We remain in the purposes of God by the leading of his spirit. And in our part, an obedient heart. You can quench the Holy Spirit. You know what the Spirit is telling you to do. You know what God's Word is telling you to do. But you choose not to. Scripture call it a rebellious heart. Going back to Old Testament, it might be you stiff-necked people. You know what to do. Or we, come on, let's, <laughs> we know what to do. But we desire something else that serves us. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. And I don't often put a Spurgeon quote up there, but I thought that was great, and you've had time to read it, hopefully. Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind or chariots without steeds. Like branches without sap, we are withered. Like coals without fire, we are useless. As an offering without the sacrificial flame, we are unacceptable. Flick the next one on Daniel, will you? Jesus says in John 14, 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you a helper to be with you. Daniel, can you put the next slide up, please? Thank you. Another means uh, another of the same kind. Jesus says, I will ask the Father to send you another of the same kind. The Holy Spirit isn't a different helper than Jesus. He's another helper like Jesus. The Holy Spirit carries on the acts of ministry of Jesus from Pentecost until he returns. So if we are trying to discern what is in the mind of the Spirit and what is not of the Spirit, we need to ask ourselves, is this something that Jesus would do or is it something that Jesus would not do? In other words, can we see this in God's word? Or is it not? Because we do not add to God's word. And of course, we've witnessed times when the church has sensationalized the work of the Holy Spirit and, and overly emphasized feelings and experiences over scripture and, and in truth. Of course, we've seen that. Of course, we've been involved in that. But we've also witnessed times when the church has institutionalized the work of the church. And overly emphasize systems of belief which are important. But to the expense of mystery and the expense of miracle. We need the gospel but we need more than the gospel. And I'm not saying adding to the gospel. We need the Bible but we need more than the Bible. And we cannot add to the Bible. We need preaching but we need more than preaching. Yeah we need good preaching. We need the third person of the Trinity. We need the Holy Spirit. Daily, for every task, we need the Holy Spirit to enliven, to enfreshen, to guide, to speak, to bring truth alive. We need the Holy Spirit. See, we can inform someone about Jesus, but only the Holy Spirit can transform. We can preach the gospel, but only the Holy Spirit can take a spiritually dead person and make them alive to God. 
We can shine the light of the gospel where only the Holy Spirit can open blind eyes that they might see the glory of God in the face of his son Jesus, his beloved son. And with the right uh, skills, uh, someone can attract large, large crowd, but only the Holy Spirit can baptize them and enable them in the depth of her heart to cry out, Abba, Father. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So in this day when the Spirit was given, as was prophesied um, before the time of Christ, not just for a moment and then depart, but to tabernacle with us, Jesus is with us by his Spirit, up until that very moment where we give that ruach, that, our own spirit, our final breath, and we are united with Jesus face to face or until the time when he returns, when the Father said the moment and the seal is broken, the trumpet and all of that sort of stuff. The Holy Spirit works in me and you if we allow him, if we are obedient to him, if we desire so. There is a danger in the church becoming institutionalized. There's a danger in the church in being sensationalized. We need a balance of some sort and we will get it right and we will get it wrong. I'd much rather be in there in a sort of show and tell rather than stepping back saying, I don't want to, I might make a mistake. And I finish with this. Another wee quote from um, someone I quoted last week, I think, and we were speaking about it in our home group. Uh, a wee quote from John Taylor. The spirit of the New Testament is essentially the spirit of sonship which is the spirit of Jesus himself. When the members of this new fellowship talk about the Holy Spirit, it is obvious that they are not speaking of moments of sudden possession or exceptional endowment, but of a permanent presence. Not so much of a power as of a partner who lives in their life. Not so much of an individual encounter as of a life in fellowship. So what? Therefore, I challenge you. We're not going to do anything just now which is emotionalism. We're not going to play any music. And I know sometimes a wee bit of music can make you feel comfortable. But I would just encourage you in these moments to be silent. I'll pray and then after that to be silent. And then we'll see where it goes. Maybe Maybe there'll be prayer for some people. Um, maybe we'll just say amen. I don't know. But can I ask you, if it, if it helps to close your eyes to do that, if you get distracted, but can I ask that in your heart, in your spirit, that you would look to heaven. As we have prayed, our Father, we look to you and to your side at the seat of honor, your son Jesus who's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I imagine the disciples in the upper room praising and glorying you and, and blessing you by remembering everything that you have done and you said you would do. I can, I can imagine the disciples recalling texts from the scripture in the Old Testament and, 
and I can imagine them just again in praise of song, with song, and in, and in their prayers, and giving it all back to you. And moment as their eyes are focusing on Jesus, your spirit coming in power. And so we focus our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. There is none like him. And ask Father God that you would have your way with us. Could everyone please stand? If you can't stand, don't, but um, if you can, please stand. And if it helps you, I invite you to hold your hands out as if to receive. Some people don't like, they're not demonstrative in that way, and that's fine. Therefore, in your heart, I, I ask that you would have a posture of receiving from the Lord. If you want to lie prostrate, lie prostrate. If you want to kneel, kneel. Father, I ask that in the name of Christ Jesus, you would fill us to overflowing by your Spirit. As we have sung, we are desperate for you. And we do not seek an emotional experience. For that emotional experience's sake, we just desire to be in a place of receiving as you're the God who gives good gifts and abundantly gives the Holy Spirit to those whom ask. And we ask, Father, that you'd give us again an anointing, an empowering of your presence, of your spirit with us. Have your way with us in our minds. Would you come, Spirit of God, and clean out the garbage that is in our mind. Forgive us for the images we have stared at. Forgive us for our heart's intent. Would you come into our heart increasingly and clean out the areas that are still dark? Would we know the forgiveness of sins? But Lord, would we also know the salvation of your spirit, the, the work of your spirit, the peace of your spirit, the shalom of your spirit, as, as we see more and more of our lives uh, emulate the life of Jesus and, and his witness, that we would become like him. May you do that by your spirit. May there be an increased uh, uh, sign of holy habits in our life, a desire to spend time with you, a desire to sing from the depths of our heart, a desire to serve and a desire to give and a desire to love and be like Jesus. Would that be the hallmark of our witness? Heavenly Father, as we go from here to Glasgow, as we go from here um, to uh, the other parts that we are from in this nation and, and further afield, would we go in the power of your spirit? Give us a word for people, Lord. Uh, give us, uh, use us in the right situation that you're calling us back into. Uh, be glorified in everything that we do. And we ask in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, and for your glory. Amen. Amen. So go now to love and to serve the Lord. And I pray that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.